What up, son? It's the tale of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. All right, here we go. Tale of the tapes, season two, episode seven. Today we have E40 and MF Doom. So I just want to put it out there that this is the first episode of 1991. So we are officially out of 1990 and on to a new year, 1991. We'll start off with E40 because his debut album was out first. Birth name is Earl Stevens, born November 15th, 1967 in Vallejo, California, United States. I just have to throw in a little side note here. That is my birthday as well. So I am very far from an E-40 fan, but we do share the same birthday. Um, his genre is listed as hip-hop, and his years active are listed as 1986 to present. A little bit of a background on E-40. Earl Stevens, born November 15, 1967, better known by his stage name E-40, is an American rapper, songwriter, and actor. He is a founding member of the rap group The Click and the founder of Sick With It Records. He has released 28 studio albums to date, appeared on numerous movie soundtracks, and has also done guest appearances on a host of other rap albums. Initially an underground artist, his 1995 solo album, In a Major Way, opened him up to a wider audience. Beginning in 1998, he began collaborating with more mainstream rappers outside the Bay Area. He rose to even higher mainstream popularity in 2006 with his hit single, Tell Me When to Go, which was produced by Lil Jon. Okay, now let's get into what I have to say about E-40. Simply put, E-40 was a long month of my life. He had one of the worst flows I've ever heard from a rapper early on, had run-on bars and didn't rhyme sometimes. At times he showed a decent ability to tell a story, but never a good one and was 50-50 with being able to hold a topic for an entire song. Most of his hooks were lacking and were usually just one or two bars repeated. Between the awful flow, the off amount of syllables in bars, and his terribly timed hypes, he made it impossible to understand him at times, which I'm convinced was somewhat done on purpose to mask a lack of skill. He alluded not being able to understand him to him rapping too fast, but ironically enough, I had no trouble understanding Twista or Bone Thugs or anybody like that. There was actually a point in time where he was so bad that just the fact that his verses were rhyming almost caused me to say, okay, this song is average, and a lot of the features on his songs early on were just as bad as him. Out of over 400 songs, I don't ever remember a single song ending where I said, okay, he killed that. He did, however, certainly show more potential in the second half of his career. Not to say he was good, but just that he stopped doing so many of the bad things so often and definitely had his fair share of good lines. Overall, though, they were outweighed by reaches, bad rhymes, times he didn't rhyme at all, and repeating the same lines over and over and over again, leaving him below average lyrically. He qualified a remarkable 28 albums for scoring, and almost just as amazing as that number is the fact that only four of them were good at best, with the other 24 being average. To add more fuel to the fire, he qualified a whopping 457 songs, the most of any artist to date, 
and not a single one was great, while 36 of them were weak. While E-40 did have some decent commercial success, I think his grind and hustle was solely responsible for that, and the fact that he had influences on artists such as J. Cole, The Locks, Tupac, Drake, and more. Originality was the category that was the saving grace for E-40. He was very original with his overall sound, song topics, vocabulary, and delivery. Though he did borrow a lot from other artists, compared to the size of his body of work, it was heavily outweighed by his originality in all other areas. Now getting into the math of what I just wrote down. Lyrics he gets a 4. Albums he gets a 3.21 with 0 classics. Songs he gets a minus .79 as we spoke. No great songs out of 457 songs. And 36 of those songs were weak. Which, that's a lot of weak songs to have. But it's, it's not that many out of 457 songs. So he still doesn't even lose a full point there. Three quarters of a point basically. Or four fifths of a point. Whatever you want to call it. Impact he gets a five and a half. You know, it's one of those slippery slope categories for E-40. If you talk to somebody in the Bay Area, they're probably going to tell you his impact is an 8.5. And, and if you talk to somebody over out in New York, they're going to tell you his impact is a 2.5. So you really have to take into account what E-40 did. He did influence a couple artists, J. Cole, The Locks, Tupac, Drake. There was a couple more. Um, those are pretty big names, but again, you're talking about 28 albums and 457 songs, and I'm only throwing four names at you. He's not a household name, he's not the most popular or commercially successful of all time, so I gave him an above average score because I, I do think it was there. I think his, his the size of his body of work and his catalog alone says at least something, Um he was very big and very impactful in his own area, which gets added on there also, but this area is also taken into consideration. couple big names, but not a lot of names, so you got to take all that into consideration. I think he earns a 5.5 there, and originality he gets an 8.5, which he certainly earned. Now, I want to speak really quickly on this. This is one of those examples to me where I would not call E-40 good. I, I, would, I would quite honestly say probably the opposite but he was very original now different doesn't always mean good he only got an above average score in one other category and it was just barely above average everything else is very well below average and he definitely is carried to a certain extent by that originality score because had he gotten a low originality score he would have been way 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 towards the back now like I said, different doesn't always mean good, but we are incorporating everything into this study and there are certainly plenty of people out there who will tell you, E-40 was dope, bro. He had such a different sound. He brought something else to the table. You're right. He did. He did bring something different to the table that was taken into consideration. He was given a really nice score of eight and a half for originality, which carries him to where he finished, which is not a great finish, but I just want to point out that he is being carried by that, and I definitely personally will not say that E-40 was good because the only thing that he really had going for him was originality, and like I stated, different doesn't always mean good. But different is different. He was different. He was original. He gets credit for it. I take nothing away from him in that area. You add all those five numbers up, 
you divide by five and you get a final score of 4.08, which leaves E40 tied for 99th place of 150 artists done overall. So, you know, again, not a great finish, 99th place, but it's still pretty far away. We are up to 150 artists done now. Um, not covered in, in the, in the podcast, but that I'm done listening to. So that number obviously keeps growing. So 99 is not as bad as it may have been in uh, season one, where if you got a, a 99, I was probably only done with 105 or 110 people at that point. So 99 was really bad. Again, 99, still not a great score. He's probably going to finish somewhere around 300 when this is all said and done. Listen, man, I, I'm just being I'm just being blunt here. I'm just being real. E40 was was really rough to listen to. I mean, the flow was just so bad at times that I don't even really understand how somebody thinks that they're flowing, whether they don't understand the concept of syllables having to be in certain places on certain instruments and things like that. I can't and I won't get too too far into it. It was touched on in season one. You can go back and listen if you want, but Really just, and listen, I, I want to point out also that E40 got a four for his lyrical score. So that's not that bad. There are people that have gotten two and a half, three and things like that. I, and there are people that have already been covered in the podcast that have gotten below a four. E40 definitely did have some dope lines. He did. But he had 457 songs. There weren't that many dope lines. And it was just heavily outweighed by a lot of other technical problems for lack of a better word so 99th out of 150 artists done overall and that goes to show you yeah i will tell you right now e40 was one of the worst things so far in this study for me i would say he was one of the top five worst things now am i saying he was one of the top five worst rappers that i covered no i'm not saying that i'm just saying for me personally it was a really 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 rough month i absolutely hated listening to him I pretty much hated every song. I did score some songs as good songs because that's what they were. Even though I hated them, they were technically good songs. So that did happen. But here we have a guy. So let this be an example. Here we have a guy who I'm telling you, for me personally, was one of the worst five people. Not in skill or not in overall finish, but just in terms of me not enjoying listening to them. He was one of the top five that I hated so far. But he still got 51 guys that finished behind him. And I guarantee you, I've liked at least one of those 51 guys that have finished behind him. Master P being number one. We just talked about that last week. I used to love Master P. And he finished way behind E40. So, again, let this just be something that stands to make a point of how I am not scoring these people based on whether I like them or dislike them or whether I enjoy them or don't enjoy them. I fucking hated E40 but I still scored him in front of 51 other people. So I just want to get that out there. So a little bit of a tricky scenario here because this is listed as MF Doom, who we are covering here today as a solo artist, but he was in a group called KMD that came out with an album before he did. So technically KMD would normally be covered as a group. That being said, MF Doom who went under the moniker Zev Love then in the group Zev Love X, he's the only MC from the group to make the cut. So the group does count because he was enough of the percentage of MCs in the group 
which was only two, and certain members had left at certain times, and we'll get into the background and the history on the group in a second, but I just want to explain why the group does count, but we're only covering one member from the group, and that is MF Doom. So that's why it's listed as MF Doom, but we will talk about the group. The group's albums did count towards MF Doom's score and stuff like that, so we'll get more into that stuff in a minute, but I did want to just clear that up before we go forward. So let's get into a little bit of, of a background on the group KMD, also known as causing much damage and a positive cause in a much damaged society. The origin is in Long Beach, New York, United States. The genre is listed as hip hop and years active are listed as 1988 to 1993. KMD, causing much damage, or a positive cause in a much damaged society, was an American hip-hop trio active in the early 1990s. The core of the group was composed of brothers Daniel Zevlov X and Dingle Isway DJ Subrock Dumile. I apologize if I butchered that name. I have never seen or heard that name before in my life. I know DJ Subrock, but I, I've never seen that first name before, so I don't want to fuck anybody's name up. I do apologize if I did that. The group is best known for launching the career of Zevlov X, who later became MF Doom. The group's original third member, Rodin, left before the group signed with Elektra Records. He was replaced with Onyx the Birthstone Kid. The group disbanded in 1993 after the sudden death of DJ Subrock and the subsequent decision by Elektra to drop the group from their label. So there you can kind of see a little bit of a background on what I was talking about with the group with why the group counted but why the other members of the group aren't being covered and who was in the group and who left the group and things like that so now let's get into a little bit more about mf doom as a solo artist here birth name is daniel dumile also known as zev love x king Ghidorah, victor vaughn metal fingers doom and metal face Born July 13, 1971 in London, England and died October 31, 2020. His genre is listed as underground hip-hop and alternative hip-hop and his years active are listed as 1988 to 1993 and 1997 to 2020. So very recent news here about uh, MF Doom passing and ironically enough man I I had just finished MF Doom that week that he passed away. So I do want to say rest in peace to MF Doom. Obviously, you know, we don't want to lose anybody. 49 is not really that old of an age, man. I mean, it's not like the guy died of old age or anything. So uh, rest in peace to MF Doom, man. It was a little bit eerie how he died like the week I was listening to him. So let's get into a little bit of a background on MF Doom. Daniel DeMille, born July 13, 1971, and died October 1, 2020, best known by his stage name MF Doom, or simply Doom, was a British-American rapper and record producer. Noted for his intricate wordplay, signature metal mask, and supervillain stage persona, DeMille became a major figure of underground hip-hop in the 2000s. After his death, Variety described him as one of the scene's most celebrated, unpredictable, and enigmatic figures. Born in London, DeMille moved to Long Island, New York at a young age. He began his career in 1988 as a member of KMD, performing under the name Zev Love X. The group disbanded in 1993 upon the death of member DJ Subrock, DeMille's brother. 
After a hiatus, Dumile re-emerged in the late 1990s performing at open mic events while wearing a metal mask resembling that of Marvel Comics supervillain Doctor Doom, who is depicted on the cover of his 1999 debut solo album, Operation Doomsday. He adopted the MF Doom persona and rarely made unmasked public appearances thereafter. Between 2003 and 2005, Dumile released four solo albums and three collaborative albums. In addition to the critically acclaimed Mmm Food in 2004, under the MF Doom moniker, he released solo albums including one under the pseudonym King Ghidorah and two as Victor Vaughn. Mad Villainy in 2004, recorded with producer Madlib under the name Mad Villain, is often cited as Dumile's magnum opus and is regarded as a landmark album in hip-hop. The following year, he released The Mouse and the Mask with producer Danger Mouse as Danger Doom. Though he lived the majority of his life in the United States, Dumile never gained American citizenship and was denied re-entry in 2010 after returning from an international tour for his sixth and final solo album, 2009's Born Like This. He relocated to London and in his final years worked mostly in collaboration with other artists, releasing albums with Gennaro Jarrell as J.J. Doom, Bishop Nehru as Neruvian Doom, and Zarface as Zarface meets Metalface. So, a similar scenario there to Slick Rick in more ways than one, but the one that's really relevant to this study is the fact that they were both born in another country, but they moved here at a young age, and this is where they got their music career started. They were not somebody that grew up and lived overseas and started a music career and had a following over there and then tried to come over to the United States. This is somebody that was born somewhere else, moved here at a very young age, and started making music here in the United States and things like that. So he does qualify for this study. Now, let's get into what I wrote down about MF Doom when I was listening to him. In high school, I got very into underground hip-hop, so I definitely knew of the name through the underground scene, but admittedly, I never really listened to any of his music until doing this study. Early on with KMD, although he displayed some incredible rhyme patterns, they were mostly one-syllable rhymes and usually a trade-off that was outweighed by run-on bars and or shortcuts. He showed the ability to tell a story, but seemed to struggle a bit with his flow. From his first solo album on, he was much better lyrically right away, and although there were occasions where he was missing some opportunities to really nail some multisyllabic rhymes, he still managed to be tremendous in this aspect. A lot of times Doom was just rhyming random words that made no sense or had nothing to do with each other, just to rhyme a lot of words and syllables, and at times he appeared to be rambling. Despite all of this, he still managed to finish above average lyrically overall because of his impressive wordplay, rhyme patterns, and syllables. Doom qualified two albums with KMD, six solo albums, five collaborative albums, and two collaborative EPs for a total of 15. Three of those were average, six were good, five were great, and one was a borderline classic. Of his 156 songs, six were great, another 56 were good, and four were weak. Impact was another area where Doom was all over the place. In one aspect, you have very little commercial success, almost no recognition outside of underground hip-hop, and mainly only RZA directly influenced musically. On the other hand, you have an underground legend who was a pioneer for underground hip-hop, 
So there was definitely a bit of give and take there. One aspect where there was no give and take was originality. Had he not sounded a bit like Slick Rick early on, or borrowed a few things from a few other artists prior to him, he may very well have gotten a perfect 10 in this department. From his voice, image, album names, song titles, and content, to his samples, underground sound, rhyme style, and ability to rap as different characters and alter egos, MF Doom was surely one of a kind. So, a lot there for MF Doom in in both aspects, both with the background and with what I wrote down on him. Um, There was really a lot going on with this guy, so let's get into the math of what I wrote down. Lyrics, he gets a 6. Albums, he gets a 4.71 with zero classics, but we did note that there was a borderline classic, so I wouldn't really argue with somebody that said MF Doom had a classic album. I would argue with people that said MF Doom had five or six classic albums or something like that. That simply was just not the case, but there was one that was very borderline, so I I will give it to somebody if they want to say that MF Doom did have one classic album, which at the end of the day, it wouldn't change his score very much. It might move him up a slot or two, which like I said in the beginning of starting this study, I have no qualms with anybody disagreeing with the exact spot that I put somebody in, but don't tell me the guy that I have at number two is really number 300 or the guy that I have at number 427 is really number seven. I'm not having that. It's just absolute bullshit. Um, There's probably little discrepancies here and there, but no major thing should be should be going on here. If that is happening, somebody's just being biased and feeding into nostalgia or personal preference or things like that because I've called everything how I see it. Songs, he gets a plus .12 as we spoke about. He did have um, he did have six great songs, but he also had four weak songs. So a little bit on both aspects there. The weaker songs were definitely earlier on, and the greater songs came to like the mid to later part in his career. But obviously, they all count. Um, The good outweighed the bad. There were more great songs than weak songs. So he does get a plus score in that category, although it's not a very big number. It is still a plus. Impact, he gets a five and a half, which it's a little bit tough for this one as well. Because like I said, man, you have a guy where they really didn't majorly influence any artist directly to where people took lines and beats or sampled him and things like that. There was really not much of that at all. RZA was the only one that was a definite. And, you know, like I said, just a lot of underground success, but not a lot of mainstream or commercial success. Certainly not a household name, not a lot of people influenced and things like that. But an underground legend, a pioneer for underground hip-hop and things like that. So there's both sides of the coin there to look at. I do think that he gets an above-average score for Impact. They gave him a five and a half. I just think that his underground following and, and stuff like that alone and just the fact of how original he was and some of the new things that he brought to the table with his sounds and his just so many things that he did. I, I did think that he did deserve to get an above average score for impact there. And originality, I gave him a nine and a half. I mean, there is just no getting around that. He was very close to getting a perfect 10. I've only given one perfect 10 for any subject thus far out of 150 people done. So he was very close to being the second one to getting a perfect 10. Uh, There was just a little bit of separation between him and the other person that did get a perfect 10. They didn't have anything really borrowed from anyone. MF Doom did have some of that. And he did sound like Slick Rick 
on certain portions of his career. I believe specifically it was early on. It is a little bit weird though because you do have a lot of similarities in this person's life to Slick Rick and I'll tell you before doing this I would have never correlated Slick Rick and MF Doom together at all. I know that's partially due to my lack of information of knowing that both of them were from England and stuff like that but there was just more similarities than them just being from England so that was a little bit odd but Nonetheless, you add those five numbers up, you divide by five, and you get a final rating of 5.17, which leaves MF Doom in 23rd place of 150 artists done overall. Yay! So that's a pretty solid finish from MF Doom there. I mean, you got a guy who, like I said, not a lot of commercial and mainstream success, not a household name by any means, Finishes in 23rd right now of 150 artists done. I mean, that's that should certainly put him in the top 100 when this is all said and done. Possibly even the top 75. So definitely a big shout out to MF Doom, man. I really didn't know, you know, little to anything about him prior to doing this. And uh, I was definitely impressed by his wordplay and his rhyme patterns and syllables and stuff like that. He was definitely absolutely off the charts with things like that but you know lacking in some other areas but nonetheless i mean here's a guy who again you're getting a five and a half in impact and things like that and this guy still manages to climb his way all the way up to 23rd of 150 artists done overall so that's a pretty impressive score for a guy like that with with not a lot of fame and popularity and commercial mainstream success so hats off to mf doom man let's talk about the current list we do a top 15% overall for the rest of the 90s. Now, the names in this list definitely change today in more ways than one. But before I get into that list, I need to address something. A couple weeks ago, we covered Everlast. I believe it was four or five weeks ago. He was given a score of seven in Impact. And I was listening back to the episode when I was mixing it and it was all done like that and stuff. And I was moving information around because... As I finish people, I put their information into a certain spot. I try to keep everything as categorized as I can. So again, we're talking about a thousand names that I have here. I have lists, I have notes, I have names, I have all this stuff. So I'm trying to keep things as organized as I possibly can. And when I was moving around information, I came across a mistake. So I have two lists. One is just the name and the numbers. So it will just simply say... KRS-1, 5 point whatever, right? Or MF Doom, 5.17, and that's it. That's all it says. And then if you scroll down, it will have these numbers that I just read to you. Lyrics, albums, songs, impact, originality, final rating. The other list is the notes with the scores and everything else. So it has the list of people, it has the, the numbers, it has the notes that were written down for them, it has all these things. So... When I was transferring the scores into the notes for the podcast, I must have accidentally hit a 7 instead of a 6. I, I It sounds ridiculous. I don't know how I did it, but when I went to hit the 6, I must have just accidentally hit the number 7. 7 didn't sound right, and I remember when I was recording it, 7 didn't sound right, but 7 was what was written down. That was what I was reading and stuff like that, so... After this, after I mixed it and after I was thinking about it and I, I started seeing some other people that I did after him and after seeing those people done, seven sounded even less right. So I went back and I looked at the original list that has no words, just numbers, and his impact score was listed as a six. So let's make a note here. 
Everlast's impact score is a 6, not a 7. That obviously changes the score that I had written down, and Everlast moved from 22nd overall to tied for 31st overall. So obviously this list is rightfully going to change today in more ways than one, so let's see how it reads now. In our top spot, we have KRS-One, who is in 11th place of 150 artists done overall. Behind him in 13th place, we have Jizza. Behind him in 15th place, we have Slick Rick. Directly behind him in 16th, we have Rakim. Couple of slots back in 21st place, we have Rev Run of Run DMC. Directly behind him, we have LL Cool J, who's in 22nd. And directly behind him, we have MF Doom, who's in 23rd. Couple of slots back, we have Will Smith, who is in 25th place of 150 artists done overall. And then tied for 27th place behind him is DMC of Run DMC and Ice Cube. Couple of slots back, tied for 31st, we have Big Daddy Kane and Everlast. So Everlast, like I said, obviously gets his spot changed. Now this is something that was just a genuine mistake. I hit a wrong key. This could happen at any time, quite frankly. Now, I don't think anything will ever stay fucked up because I'm constantly on top of this stuff and it only took me a handful of weeks to find this mistake. So I don't think that anything is ever going to get fucked up and go unnoticed. It's a shame that I fucking noticed it right after we covered Everlast in the study. So when you go and you listen to Everlast episode, you're going to hear it stated as a seven, but it's also stated in every episode that these numbers could always change. His numbers are still subject to change, but this was just a wrong key hit. This was just an accidental mistake and that has been corrected. So Everlast is where he is supposed to be now. He's tied for 31st place of 150 artists done overall. So MF Doom slides into our top 15% overall and he knocks Will Smith back a slot. So another 90s guy makes it in. Everlast obviously also slides back as we spoke about the mistake before we made the list and he is now tied for our last and final spot with Big Daddy Kane. I obviously still want to give a shout out to everybody in this top 15% still hanging on to a slot. We're in the middle of the golden era of hip hop. You know, this is a time right here where I think most, the general consensus most would probably expect a lot of people to get slammed back in this golden era of hip hop here. So far, we haven't seen too much of that happen so far in the early 90s here, but another nine years to go here in the 90s. So we got a while to go. Um, we'll see what happens as we go forward, but we do have another 90s artist that slides in there. Now, we have a tie for the last spot, so that obviously means that we listed 12 people when we really are only supposed to be listing 11. So we didn't lose any artists by MF Doom sliding in because we have a tie for that last spot, but we'll, we'll see how long Big Daddy Kane and Everlast are able to hang on to that last spot going forward. Let's get into the current top 10% lyrically. This list doesn't change today as neither of these artists were able to crack our top 10% lyrically. So tied for our number one spot lyrically so far, we have Master Ace and Jizza who both got lyrical scores of seven and a half. Behind those two, tied for third place, we have KRS-One and Lord Finesse who both got lyrical scores of seven. And then we have that four-way tie that's been going on for a long time here for fifth place. And we got Will Smith, Rakim, Cool G, Rap, and Everlast, all with lyrical scores of six and a half. So, 
Big shout out to everybody in the top 10% lyrically. The list has been growing because we have that four-way tie for fifth place, but we'll see how long those four can hang on to that last spot for. I mean, the list is going to grow as we go on. There will be more artists covered, so that 10% will obviously grow to a higher number. Right now, it's a seven, and we technically have eight people listed because we have that four-way tie going on, but... It's be interesting to see how long those four can hang on to that last spot because people may finish in front of them, but the top 10% may allow for more artists to be named. So I'll be interested to see how long they can hang on to that four. Now let's get into the other list that we started a couple weeks back. We do our top five rappers to make their debut in the 80s and then our top five rappers to make their debut in the 90s. Starting with the 80s. Our top five rappers to make their debut in the 1980s are number one, KRS-One, number two, Slick Rick, number three, Rakim, number four, Rev Run of Run DMC, and number five, LL Cool J. Big shout outs to those legends, man. They hold on to that top five of the 1980s. As we spoke about before, this should stay the same for the most part throughout the podcast. Um, but just major shout out to the legends, man. I, I expect most of those guys to stay there. You know, probably almost until this study is done. But I do have an announcement to make as it concerns this a little bit. Not particularly these five people, but it it needs to be talked about right now. So we talked last week about how scores are subject to change. We talk all the time about how scores are subject to change. But we spoke last week about how even if that artist is no longer putting out music, those scores can still be changed because of what we see going forward. Maybe we see more artists sample them and their impact score gets raised. Maybe we see quite the opposite and their impact score gets lowered or, you know, whatever it may be. So it's just ironic that last week I spoke about that. And now this week I have to announce that Vanilla Ice's impact score was changed from a five to a four and a half. And that changed his overall score from a 3.55 to a 3.45, which moved him from 132nd place to 136th place overall of 150 artists done so far. So I thought it was noteworthy to throw that in. It was a change in score made due to seeing what I've seen since. There are other artists that kind of fall in that five area or whatever to where they really did have a much bigger impact on hip hop as a whole than Vanilla Ice. Now Vanilla Ice was out towards the end of the 80s, but like I said, still just over 50 artists done or so at that point. We're at over 150 artists done now, so you're talking about three times the amount of artists are out now. It's a little bit more clear to see now that Vanilla Ice has had less of an impact going forward than he did in just that 1980s era where he was covered originally. So his score is rightfully changed from a five to a four and a half, Does that change going forward? I don't know. We shall see. But that did move him back from 132nd to 136th. Obviously not a big difference, but he wasn't in a great spot to begin with, and he moves even further back. So not a really great look for Vanilla Ice, but let's get into our top five artists of the 90s. And this list does change today, as obviously MF Doom slides in there, and naturally we have a change in our last place slot as well. So your top five artists of the 90s. At number one, we have Jizza. At number two, we now have MF Doom. Number three, Everlast. And then tied for fourth place, we have Lord Finesse and Master Ace. So that's our last spot as our top five. We have two guys tied for the fourth and final spot. 
So MF Doom slides into second place, pushes Everlast down a notch, and sends Q-Tip out of the top five artists in the 90s so far. So, like I said, expect this list to change relatively often. Two weeks ago, we saw K-Solo pushed out. Now this week, we see Q-Tip pushed out. Again, not trying to shit on any of these artists, but a lot of these stays in this top five of the 90s have been very short-lived. Some people are in here for a week, and they're right out, and... Again, shout out to MF Doom. Shout out to all the guys, obviously, in the top five of the 80s, top five of the 90s, top 10% lyrically overall, top 15% overall. And like I said, even the guys that just made this cut and are in this study, everybody's in here for a reason, regardless of where they finish. So I like to give all these artists a shout out for sure. If you'd like to see any of the lists in full, you can go give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash tale of the tapes podcast. You can also visit the host website at www.anchor.fm slash tapes. Both of those links are spelled completely normally. There's a support button on the host site if you feel generous enough to donate. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, that's it for today's episode, man. I mean, a lot of things today. We had a couple of changes in some of those lists. We had a couple of things to talk about as far as the mistake with Everlast. We had the change in Vanilla Ice's score. Um, You know, MF Doom with a big finish. He gets in the top 15% overall. He gets number two in the top five of the 90s artists so far and things like that. So there was definitely a lot of things in this episode today. And um, I thought a lot of good info in here. I thought this was a pretty good episode, even though... I really just did not enjoy E-40 at all. But again, my personal preference has really nothing to do with anything that's going on in here. I do like to state it sometimes because I do think it's important for people to understand that I may absolutely hate somebody and they may not finish very bad. And also important to understand that I may love certain people and they may not finish very good. So I do want to keep pointing out how my opinions, my nostalgia, my bias, none of that shit is coming into the scoring here at all. Um, People are doing what they're doing and they're finishing where they're finishing. But next week, we will be covering Cypress Hill. And I have an announcement to make. We have a special guest featured on next week's episode. I won't give away who that guest is. You'll have to tune in to see. But I think it'll be a great episode in more ways than one. And the person who I'm having on the episode is a very big Cypress Hill fan, which is partially the reason why they were invited to be on this particular episode. So uh, I'm personally very excited for this episode for more reasons than one. But uh, that does it for this week's episode of Tale of the Tapes. I will catch you next week. Peace. Tale of the Tapes. Might as well.